welcome along again to the Landlord Podcast. Today, we're with our old friend Dave from AFP Mortgages. So yes, I think they must have confidence in the property market at the moment because it's more a pricing driven by the Bank of England as opposed to a risk that they're worried about um, losing money if they repossess. Yeah. The other interesting thing is the difference between the two and the five-year fix. He's back for a refresher from probably season one of the first time we saw him in the new podcast studio. Tristan, what are you most looking forward to getting stuck into a day? Well, fortunately, I'm on this one. I was unavailable on the last podcast, but really excited to speak today, find out how he sees things going with the banks and lending moving forward, and also find out what advice he can give landlords out there in the current market, knowing the market's so busy. So, yeah, interested to find out some uh, stats and figures and, and find out what he predicts. Pro- property market's obviously an interesting place, and I think mortgage advisors tend to know what's going to happen next or they see the trends so it's going to be interesting to hear about trends what's going on with mortgage applications at the moment what he thinks is going to happen with rates all things property in this chat looking forward to it right dave has the other side of the screen should we bring him in Let's Let's get do it. dave thanks for joining us again and welcome to the new podcast studio as one of our first honored guests into the room so again thanks for coming down it's been a while talk to us about Are you still a landlord? Will you continue to be a landlord in these heady days? I am still a landlord, Mike. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Nice nice new establishment. Good to see you. Um, (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Still a landlord. Um, I don't have any intentions of of selling the property. It's it's doing me okay at the moment. Yes, rates are going up, so bills are getting a bit more expensive, but I think rental costs are increasing as well. So, yeah, no, it works for me still, mate, definitely. Good, good stuff. And Dave, as a very seasoned pro mortgage advisor, <laughs> we want to pick your brains and find out what you think the banks are thinking at the moment. Because six months into the year, we've seen a couple of base rate hikes. Mm. Um, definitely, I see your mortgage rate deals that you're sending through that sort of pick of the bunches weekly. Mm. And it's interesting to see that they've probably doubled in most areas over the course of the last six months. But Really, from the bank's point of view, where do you think they feel the market's going and what are they thinking around these base rate changes? The banks are, are reacting for two different reasons. Um, they try to predict what the base rate's going to do. So we saw probably three or four lenders increase their rates at the end of last week. Um, and that could give us an indication they're expecting yet another base rate increase when when the next announcement's made. So they react to the base rates. Um they're also reacting to volume of business. So the way the banks control their flow of business, how busy they are, which obviously determines their service levels, is to increase and reduce the interest rates. So at one point in the last few months, we've seen banks taking 20 days, maybe in excess of that, to go from application to mortgage offer, which is unacceptable for, for the bank's SLAs. So they might increase their interest rates, try and slow down that volume of business to, to stem that flow. It hasn't really worked because mm. as soon as one bank increases, the next bank does the same and they're all still as busy as one another. But there's the logic of volume compared to reaction to the market. So they're, they're attacking it from both angles. But um, rates have definitely... Uh, residential interest rates, maybe not so much what we're talking about today, but if you asked me back in October, you would probably get a three quarter percent, 0.75. Yeah. Whereas now there's very little below 3%. So extortionate increases. Yeah, I saw a, a client yesterday, actually, that um, bought a property through me a year ago. And we were just having a chat about what they'd done to the property. But they mentioned they've got a 
uh, a mortgage deal, 50% equity, mm -hmm. 50% mortgage. And they did a five-year fixed at 1.64%. And you would think, okay, 1.64%, really good rate, 50% equity, but they probably struggled to get anything lower than what, two and a half, 2.75, maybe something like that for a five-year deal today? I don't think you'd get that. I think three. Yeah, you're right. going to be floating around the three percent now. Yeah, yeah, two point nine, two point nine five at best. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's it's gone it's gone crazy, almost double. What I'm interested to get your view on as well is the the next six months. And I know we can't mystic meg it, but we're going to try because um, that's the beauty of this podcast. <laughs> we love putting people on the spot. So just thinking what the banks are thinking. When I read the mortgage rates at the moment, I read it as if you've got a 10% deposit, you're a classic first time buyer in the market. That rate of interest that you can get on a mortgage at the moment for a 90% is not too dissimilar for the classic upsize or remortgage client mm. on a 60% loan to value and a 40% equity. Yeah. We've never seen that before really in any of our time in this industry, in the property industry. Mm. The way I read that is that we're going into a first-time buyer market and the banks feel confident in the property market or they would be hiking the interest rates on the high loan-to-value products. Yeah. Your view? No, I think you're right. You're definitely along the right lines. And there's a couple of different things to chat about there, actually. So the loan-to-values, absolutely bang on. There's, there's very little difference between a 60% loan-to-value rate compared to a 90% loan-to-value yeah. rate. And that does mean that it's all risk-driven. So the reason the rates are higher at the higher loan-to-values is because the bank has got more of their money wrapped up in that mortgage. If you're putting 10% of your own cash down, if, let's say, the property market crashed in a year's time and that bank had to repossess, there's more chance they're not going to get their 90% mortgage back. Um, so exactly that. They must be more comfortable that the property market is stable to be offering relatively competitive rates at that high loan to value. I say relatively competitive compared to the lower loan to values they are. They're yeah, good. Yeah. Um, so yes, I think they must have confidence in the property market at the moment because it's more a pricing driven by the Bank of England as opposed to a risk that they're worried about um, losing money if they repossess. Yeah. The other interesting thing is the difference between the two and the five-year fixed mortgages. That's what I was going to come to. Yeah. I'm in the middle of remortgaging a buy-to-let at the moment, and I'm being offered the difference of 0.03% for a two-year or a five-year fixed rate, mm -hmm. which normally the, the difference would be be much bigger than that. So Definitely. why 0.03% for a two- or a five-year? I think that might be where the banks think the rates are going to go in the long term. So short term they're worried, they're still charging relatively high rates. But actually, over the long term, maybe they're not expecting things to keep going in that direction. Maybe they're thinking, yeah, okay, in two years, two year money, we're gonna, we're gonna say that's about 3%. Um, but actually, in five years, I don't think things are going to change too much. I think we're still going to be charging a similar amount, because maybe, and I'm being a bit hopeful here, maybe things will even themselves out and not continue to increase um, as far as the base rate's concerned and things like that, things will just start to plateau soon. Yeah. Um, so actually, I think that's quite a positive thing. Not great for you or I, who's, <laughs> who's trying to get a good deal, but I think in predictions for the future, there's probably light at the end of the tunnel um, in the bank's mind. So the other thing from a trend point of view that you can see at the moment is, and we're talking to property investors really today, that's, that's most of our listeners, 
buy-to-let deals versus resi deals mm. normally are much, much higher. Yeah. But at the moment, that's a little bit different. I, I'm intrigued to get your perspective on why the banks are offering such good buy-to-let deals at the moment. Well, I've never seen a market like this. It's completely flipped on its head. Um, residential has always been cheaper than buy-to-let yeah. interest rates, um, but not now. <laughs> we're literally seeing, like we've just discussed, resi rates coming up above 3%, whereas the buy-to-lets are still, with a big fee attached, don't get me wrong, sometimes they're 2% of the loan amount or a couple of thousand pound fees involved, but those rates are probably still just about sub 3%. Mm. Um, why that's happening, that is the million dollar question, Ian. I, I've never really thought that much about it, but I can only presume from old investment properties were deemed a bigger risk um you do have to put more money down to start with so they're inherently lower loan to values involved you really start with the 25 percent deposit 75 percent loan to value um so you you you're probably not as um they're probably not as worried about the risk point of view yeah all rating structure comes down to risk so that's got to be what's going through the bank's head they're more comfortable lending to landlords now than they are to people who are gonna live in the property. And I guess, does that come down to the the climate that we're in at the moment? Are we expecting, I hate to say the word, a recession, a slump, where unemployment could start to really affect us? Unlikely, unemployment is, you know, it's not even on the cards at the moment, but who bank, knows what's around the banks corner. Banks are businesses at the end of the day. And I think if you're gonna lend your money to a first-time buyer, potentially, that's never had a mortgage. And if this first-time buyer is listening, they're going to hate me for saying this, but this is the truth of it. Mm. First-time buyer, 10% deposit, whatever it may be, if you're going to lend to that person, that's more high risk Definitely. than probably a landlord that's maybe buying their second or their third investment. They've got the ability to put 25%, maybe even more deposit down. Mm -hmm. When you do the underwriting on that client, if you're lending them the money, it's because you feel confident in them as an individual. And on the flip, the rental market at the moment, the prices for rent is as high as they've ever been and the demand is as high as it's ever yeah. been. So it's a really secure place to lend money. So it makes sense, I guess, in a way. Yeah, I was going to come to that. I mean, the rental market is really strong. And in a way, somebody else is paying that mortgage, as horrible as that sounds. The bank is not relying on you having your job and your income from your employment to pay mm. the mortgage. You might have that to supplement should you not have a tenant, but nine times out of 10, the mortgage payments are going to be made by the rent that comes in. So yes, rental market is strong. So that's that's probably another reason for them being more comfortable lending on the buy-to-let properties, a lower risk. Just going back to um, rates from Ian's conversation before. So um, at the beginning of last month, I sat down with another broker and we were discussing limited businesses and lending. Yeah. And from the conversation I had with him at the time was rates are actually coming down when obviously rates were low as they were for buy-to-let and started to creep up. Limited company rates are going down. Are you seeing that now or is that sort of starting to level out as well now? Again, the gap has closed. Um, so when we were in the good old days a year or so ago and rates were at rock bottom, you probably wouldn't get a limited company buy to let much less than 25 2.7% around that sort of region. Whereas um, individual buy to lets, you might have got as cheap as 1.2, 1.3 at yeah. one point. So there was a, a fairly big gap now that's closed. I wouldn't say they're coming down. 
I think maybe a month or so ago they were. Now they're starting to pitch up a little bit. Some of the key um, limited company buy-to-let lenders, uh, Kensington, Vida, I think they had rate, rate increases only last week, um, which are fairly significant, half a percent on top of what they were offering. So that's pushing them back up. But certainly the difference is a lot less than it used to be. The other, the other thing that came from the last base rate hike was conversation about a change to the way the underwriting is done, obviously, with mortgages. And I think it's from the 1st of August that it kicks in, in yeah. terms of affordability, which potentially is more reason why we're going into first-time buyer type marketplace, where we're going to mm. increase the level of first-time buyers. What's your take on that? Because that's that's had some mixed reviews and people have you know quoted 2007, eight issues before. Personally, I can't see we're going to go down that lines of it. We're not seeing 105% mortgages for a first-time buyer. But with cost of living at the moment, affordability yeah. is something really that should be looked at. And we spoke yeah. about that in tenancies before as well. But definitely from a buyer's perspective, but if they're going to scrap the way it's been previously, I'm just intrigued to know how you're going to, I guess, correctly lend the right advice to people, really. I'm actually a little bit worried about it. Um I understand why the Bank of England or the FSA have decided to to take that stance. Um, back in, correct me if I'm wrong, I think it was 2014, yeah, we had so. a big shake-up called the MMR, mm. the Mortgage Market Review. And that's where all these affordability stress tests were introduced. And basically they're saying, at that point they were saying, you might be able to take out a mortgage now at probably back then 2% fixed interest rate. But when we assess how much you can borrow, we're going to presume that interest rate is something around 6 maybe 7%. So they had these inflated calculations that they were putting in place to say, well, if the worst came to the worst, if interest rates really did get hiked, we're going to pretend you're paying 5% more than you actually are. Well, now, in a world where interest rates are at 3%, sometimes 4 for a 5% deposit, if you added a 5% stress test on top of that, they're not going to lend you any money. It just becomes unaffordable. So they're doing it to try and stimulate the lending for the first-time buyers, for the lower loan-to-values, smaller deposits. Mm. Um, but if rates do continue to increase, and touch wood, never do I see a day where they're back up to 9%, but if rates do continue to increase, that could be a little bit dangerous. We could yeah. see people unable to pay those mortgages. We're taking away the safety net yeah. that the, the bank put in place to make sure it remains affordable. Um, so I can see why they're doing it, but it does worry me a little as well. It's borderline with the frequency of these 95% loan to values at the moment and the rates that they are. Yeah. Because you do, you maybe don't worry about today, getting the first two years out of the way, but you do worry for that client in two years' time when they come to remortgage because we don't know what the rates will be then. Mm. And, you know, we add a percent to it, it yeah. could be unaffordable for that individual, especially if the, the way that cost of living is going, it, it could be a real problem for people. Yeah. Hopefully it won't be, but I can Same see Same gamble that you've added. You've added equity to your property so you can jump into the next category, isn't it? It's that same old gamble that yeah. people have been running decade after decade. That mm. I'll buy with a 5% and by the time I come to remortgage, hopefully I'll have 10 15 20% equity yeah. to get a better mortgage rate. But for me, the flip side of the removal of the stress test is potentially a benefit for tenants because tenants traditionally are paying maybe 50% more rent than they would do on a mortgage. So 
they might not meet the original stress test, mm. but we all know they can afford to pay that mortgage because mm. they've been paying 50% more rent for 10 years straight, yeah. but have been cut out of the market. So potentially this opens the world up a little bit to people who have been cut off. Yeah. Because if you're renting at £1,500 a month, frankly, saving for a deposit for a mortgage is pretty tough. And I do sympathize for those people. But if you can scrape 5% together and prove that, your affordability is strong mm. because you've got a track record of paying mm. so much rent, then it opens up the mortgage market and it's right for those people. Yeah. Let's not forget they still will have affordability checks. They're not just going to abolish yeah. it all and, and lend. Self-cert, like Dave. Self-cert. Yeah, Let's I go. I can't see that coming back, Mike. <laughs> not just yet. No. <laughs> um, but I think what a lot of people forget is fixed interest rates are only a really small part of what the bank is basing their lending on. They might offer somebody a mortgage of 30 years. Even if the fixed is five years, that's only the first five years of that mortgage. After five years, the bank are presuming you're going to go on to the standard variable rate. They're not they're not banking on the fact that you're going to switch to another fixed deal. They have to say, well, okay, five years at that rate, then 25 years at our variable, which is probably another percent on top again. Mm. So... Whereas the affordability stress tests were saying, okay, 5% in addition to the variable, now they're just saying, well, use your common sense. It's got to be affordable on the variable, probably add another couple of percent on that, but it's down to the bank's discretion rather than having that hard rule from the FCA in place saying they've got to apply this extra percentage on top. It's adding a little bit of flexibility in there and that's where common sense needs to be applied and that's where people are worried is sometimes it's not always applied yeah absolutely and off the back of your comment i've been paying rent of a thousand pound a month my mortgage payments are going to be 800 they might be 800 pound for the first two years or five years but if that person if that individual's had an accident and they can't work after five years excuse me they'll flip onto the standard variable and they might not be able to fix again so all of a sudden those payments could well be 1200 pound a month more than they were paying in rent so unfortunately, that track record, it's really not something the banks will. will. I don't think they'll ever look at that, to be honest. And what, what would be your expectations over the next six months for just the, the way that mortgage applications are looking at the moment? Because a lot of people always talk to us about, OK, the market, you know, you get your you get your negative Nellies that say, right, the market's about to crash. We're going into recession. And normally when this chatter happens and we've got that era of, unpredictability no one really knows what we're moving into you get three camps the world's about to implode mm. get your steel ta- um, cap on and you know make sure that you bunker down and get a load of cans of beans in the shop put your money under the mattress yeah <laughs> you know you get that that level of it and then on the other side you get the investor best this is the time to invest put your money in the economy there's loads of money in the economy at the moment housing's you know safe as anything to, to put your money in safe as houses as they say and then you've got the middle camp that are a bit kind of looking left and right and they're yeah, not entirely the certain fence. and yeah. what what happens in the market then is estate agents and mortgage advisors become really valuable sources of information because we're on the coal face, if you like, of what's mm. happening live. So if we look at last month as an example, we as a business from a sales perspective would not have seen and did not see less transactions happening. We saw really solid levels of inquiries on pretty much every property that was listed. The ratio of what listed to what sold didn't really change at all. So we haven't seen less properties selling, but I'm interested to know whether you are seeing the same type of level of mortgage applications or it's dropped or it's gone up or. 
Yeah, and in a nutshell, we, we're still seeing volume as it always has been. We haven't yeah. had a, a reduction in the number of applications. Um, strangely, where we're seeing our business come from has slightly changed. Um, We've got various business models, estate agents recommending us, client referrals. That's The, the percentages there have changed a bit. Um, but the level of business overall that we get is is still very consistent. In fact, busier. I mean, I'm pleased to say we've taken on a new member of staff to cope with it. We're, mm. we're still busy. Um, just taking a few steps back to sort of say, what's going to happen? What's around the corner? A lot of people do ask me that question. You know, is now the time to buy? What's going to happen to the market? <sighs> And it's really difficult to answer because there's a lot of external factors at play right now that we don't know what's going to happen with. My personal opinion, in the short term, I think things will calm down. I think give it another eight to 12 months, we're going to see interest rates hopefully start to reduce again and, and the world settle down a bit. What have we got to think about? I'm sorry to waffle, but we've got the war and we've got Cost of living. The, the cost of living. But what is this driven by? Um, the war is one thing. We've got the pandemic that a lot of people blame for, you know, coming out the other end of that, everything that's happening now. That's short term. Those problems hopefully will be resolved relatively quickly. What a lot of people forget is Brexit. We've come out of Brexit, I hate to say it, with no trade deals. Mm. We're not a particularly appealing com- country to, to trade with at the moment. And if we don't trade, what happens to our pound? And that's again what interest rates are are sort of driven by um inflation and, and the, va- the value of the pound and things like that so we've got the short-term camp of people that say the war's going to end we'll recover from the pandemic everything's going to be okay but i can't see the problems of brexit resolving themselves quite as quickly so it's it's a great question that I've, i'm not really that confident in answering yeah, right now it's, it's a challenging one i guess it yeah. goes back to mike making sure if you are investing in property you've got that power team around you, you do due diligence and you mm. make sure, I guess you're investing in an area you know would probably be the sensible thing at the moment. It would be a big gamble to go outside of your your world, if you like. Yeah, I think if you invest in the area that you know, you have an idea of what is going to happen locally. No one can affect anything that Dave's just said. No individual can affect Brexit wars in Ukraine, inflation, this, that and the other, but you can understand and affect what is happening in your tiny little microclimate. I live in and around Bracknell and Wokingham and I can tell you what is going to happen, what is going to happen for certain for the next six to 12 months in my area, but I can't tell you what's going to happen in Swindon in the next six to 12 months around big employment situations, school decisions, building decisions, Mm. town civic things. So I would always stay locally. Um, And and to your answer in your answer that you give every time today is still the cheapest day to buy a house. Mm. It only ever goes one way, isn't it? Property. If you look at the 10 year trends, it's always going to increase. So it's I've got to get a copyright on that slogan. <laughs> Maybe that is what goes up on this wall. That's a good shout. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. I think that's that's got to be used a little bit more. Um, Tristan, over to you with your uh, with your end of podcast questions. I'm interested to know the answers to these. So, Dave, um, what happens next in the property market? What happens next in the property market, Tristan? That is the million dollar question, isn't it? Yeah. Um, well, nobody hold me to this, but 
you know what? I don't think, and again, sort of echoing what Mike said, I can only vouch for our local area. I, I do mortgage applications all across the country, but I only know the local area. And probably also echoing what you said some time ago, there's such a demand out there still. Yeah. There is more buyers than there is properties. So whilst that's the case, I don't see any major downturn in the market. Um, it's supply and demand simple economics and whilst we're in this position things can probably only go one way so i think we're still in a good place despite everything that we've just said and what's yeah. going on around us yeah i do think we're still in a good place it's great news for the property market hopefully over the next six months or so yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> um going on to my next question then if you invest in the perfect buy to let deal tomorrow what does that look like to you Oof. You pinned me on this one before. I should have been ready. Um, might have changed in, it might in have the last changed. year. Yeah. It might have changed. So I think my answer before probably was around spread the risk. Um, a lot of people might go for a larger family or bed um, for, for a rental investment there. My personal opinion, and only from what I'm used to, I have a smaller two-bed property. If you've got some money, go for probably, I don't know, three three fifty something like I've got, where the demand is relatively frequent. Um, I don't see, I think in my opinion, if somebody's paying 1,500, two grand a month in rent, why aren't they buying? At some point, they're gonna be able to purchase their own property, which is great. But then the turnover of tenants is gonna be quite frequent. Um, maybe for the lower value properties, a couple of beds, starter homes, things like that, you're gonna have more stable or more regular tenants you'll find getting them occupied a bit easier so i would say always go for for the smaller sort of um, maybe one or two bed start homes and if you've got a bit of extra cash buy more than one so in terms of our listeners a majority of them are i would categorize as first-time landlords or investors mm. looking to get into the property market with some cash mm. aside looking to invest but if you were to give it your best piece of advice to a landlord looking to get into property for the first time what would that be <clears throat> so at the moment just be cautious about where you're buying. There is, the property values are very high at the moment. Is that the right area? We all talk about yield for the rent and things like that. I think that's gotta be your main focus. Are you, probably Mike's gonna correct me on everything I say here. But, it's all your opinion. <laughs> Everything's an opinion and no one has the right one. Otherwise we'd be on the beach. We'd be talking about it. <laughs> I had somebody come to me the other day looking at purchasing a property value that I think it was about 380, 400 grand that they were expecting to get 900 pound a month in rent on. I would say that is not a good investment. No, you can, terrible. you can purchase something either much cheaper for the same rent or you could get something to pay you a lot more rent for that value. Double, double the rent. Yeah, easier. absolutely. Yeah. Um, I won't go into too many details about it, but I obviously said, probably look in other areas mm. look around don't rush into it yeah. um so just do your research make sure you're in the right area which has got great rental potential and if you can find somewhere if there is such a place where prices aren't too high at that point that's that's where you should be looking low value high rent sounds obvious but uh, yeah. i don't even know if they're out, out there anymore but still Look, high rent certainly exists. I can tell you that I, I, for free. That high much. rent certainly yeah. <laughs> exists. I mean, just on your point, I think that the, the question to ask the first-time investor is why? What are you doing it for? Mm -hmm. um, everyone should have or should understand the reason they're putting money into a property. A lot of people start off and just think, well, I've been told it's a good idea. Mm -hmm. But if people can just force in a reason of 
why they're actually looking to invest, what are they trying to get out of it? Then mm. they'll understand the answer to your question of, mm. well, is that return good enough for you? Is that the right property for you? Because if you're buying that property because you want your mum to move in there in 10 years and it's just going to tick over for those 10 years, the crappy yield's fine. Mm. You you stick that, it will pay its mortgage, it will wash its face. Yeah. But if you're thinking this is my pension pot, you're absolutely right. <laughs> you can offend the estate agent and tell them to buy elsewhere because yeah. it, it, it would be rubbish. The question is always just just why with, yeah. with, with those people. That for proves me. how putting you on the spot is very difficult. Thanks, Tristan. But you're, you're dead right because a lot of my conversation when I speak to my customers completely starts with that. And it's, are you in this for the long-term value gain? Are you in this to try and make a few extra quid every month from the rent that's coming in? Because all of the taxes, stamp duty, if you're a higher rate taxpayer, they're going to relieve you of 40% of the, the tax on the rent. Um, all of that needs to get thought about because it's not a quick buck anymore. Mm -hmm. Even the long-term property value, you're paying a big lump of stamp duty up front. So it's got to be very long-term to, to counteract that, really. Um, thanks, Mark. <laughs> so. Property investors listening, uh, whether you are currently landlords, future landlords, maybe you're thinking of selling your portfolio like some people are at the moment. Whatever camp you sit in at the moment, if you've got questions for Dave from AFP Mortgages, then feel free to DM us, ask us any questions. We can obviously pass your contact details over to him if you want to have a chat. Uh, thank you to you, Dave, for joining us on, on this episode. Thank it's you been very much. really insightful. I love being on this as one of the hosts because we learn so much. And I think everything we spoke about today, we can't guarantee. But what we've done is we've put four heads together and made an educated guess at what we think might happen. So hopefully people listening feel a lot more confident in the decision they're going to make because they've got more information to make it now. So until next Friday, where we launch the next episode, which I'm excited for, Tristan, on the spot, me, you, Mike, talking about all sorts of different things with a fantastic guest. So that's going to be a good one. But thank you, Dave, for joining us. And we'll see you next Friday, everyone. Thank you very much. Cheers. Guys, we managed to get through the entire podcast with Dave Howarth without calling him Uncle Dave for the first <laughs> time. So I'm just going to throw it in there. But Ian, what did you enjoy most? What did you get out most out of the podcast? Well, we call him Uncle Dave because he's very knowledgeable and he's extra, extra helpful with his clients. And that's why he's got that tag name. And within this podcast, he's shared a lot of light. And I could tell from the way he was talking, he was confident in everything he was saying as well. So he was honest in terms of what he thinks might happen with the market and not knowing exactly, but really, really detailed in terms of things like Brexit, which we've not spoken about in a while as well. So I think from the podcast perspective, people listening to it will have probably taken a lot of extra information, like I mentioned at the end of the episode, to help them make a better decision. And I think that's what this podcast is about, is giving people information that maybe they didn't know before. For me, his insight into the banks was great. Um, I know you were looking forward to, to that, Tristan. His insight into the bank's mentality was really interesting. And just touching base on the trends, really, of what's going on at the moment with mortgage applications and the fact that we've not seen a drop in sales last month. He's not seen a drop in applications last month, yet some people feel we're on the side of doom and gloom and demand and supply would say not. So overall, the chat for me was fantastic, and I'm sure people took a lot of information from it. Tristan? For me, it was the confidence in the market. The difference between a three-year and five-year fixed is so little, in his opinion, says that the bank sees maybe a slight uplift of rates in the current market, but long-term going five years ahead, looks to me like they'll, they'll start to drop again. 
So just hearing that of how he sees lending going sort of moving forward gives me full confidence for people to invest in property now. Yeah, good point, actually. What about yourself, Mike? It's a bit of reassurance, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, that's selfishly, that was the answer I was looking for because I'm in the middle of remortgaging my residential and one of our buy-to-lets at the moment. And it had been really bugging me why I'm not getting a deal for doing a two-year um, fixed rate over a five year, which you would normally see that as a real incentive for the banks to drive those those arrangement fees that I hate so much. So um, I'm off to fix my mortgage for the next five years. Dave's waiting in the office for me opposite now. <laughs> Gents, thanks for joining us. Until again next week, as ever, the links for Dave, the links for us are in the bios or in the write-up. If you've ever got any questions or if there's anyone you would love to hear and see on our podcast, drop us a line and we'll make it happen. Looking through YouTube and through Spotify, I don't think there's a podcast or a video channel on YouTube that landlords can land on where they're not being sold something. I mean, it'd be the first time any estate agents ever asked that question, but why not ask that question to a wider audience? They just have the knowledge there, but they don't seem to share it. You can do different episodes based around someone that wants an exit plan or someone that's just starting their portfolio. The rules change every year. Yeah. But why not just open the floor out and just say, well, is property even the best investment out there? And tax advice is a big thing, especially with everything that's changed, capital gains yeah. tax, and obviously your stamp duty costs that you need to pay and whatnot. People don't realise what they need to prepare for. We build a podcast, and we build a YouTube channel, somewhere that landlords can go and they feel they're not being sold to, but they're just getting quality advice.